Not putting down anybody who's on assistance. I've been there. Elaine and I have been there. We've used it. But God's people should not make that a way of life. There's no law that says I have to be in debt all my life. And some of us got credit cards so maxed out and we got so much debt God can't use us. If he asked for a penny, we don't know where we would get it from to give it to him. There's no law that says we have to be in debt all of our life. There's no law that says I have to party and drink on Friday and Saturday night. That's a choice. I go out and do those things. There's no law that says it. There's no law that says I have to be lazy, ignorant, foolish, stupid, dumb, ill-mannered. No law that says that. That's a choice. But see, it's also all taught. There's no law that says I have to lie, deceive, trick, mislead in order to get ahead in this life. There's no law that says that. We live life by God's rules, his system. Why? Let me give you what the dictionary says about thought. Dictionary thought, the act of process of thinking. Reflecting, it is reasoning or conceiving ideals and the use of imagination. It is where our opinions are developed in our thought life. Our opinions are developed over time. Our opinion, our imagination, our ideals, our thinking process is developed by three things. One, by observation of life. By what we see. Here comes one of the problems. Sometimes what our children see at home causes internal problems. They are not sometimes expressed until they're older. Because they could not express them while they were young. But they're able to see it. And oftentimes when parents are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And they think children are asleep. Children peeping around the corner. And children got good ears. They don't miss much. So one of the ways in which our thought pattern is developed is by our observation. Watch a baby. A baby when young, don't say a word. But watch that baby start observing everything, looking at everything. That baby begins in its observation. Its observation begins to develop its thoughts. The second area that begins to develop this area of thought for us is our experiences in life. What we experience in life also goes into our thought process. 
It's our experiences in life that either teaches us to trust people or don't trust people. It's our experiences in life that begin to say, this is bad or this is good or this is that. It's our experiences in life. And those experiences begin to bring about a certain way of thinking that brings about a conclusion of how we will behave by what we have experienced. Our observation, our experiences. Then there's the third thing that is vital. The type of education one receives. The education. For the education system is nothing else but a process of thinking. The whole issue of learning math is to also learn how to think and to think through a process, how to add something up and come to a conclusion and so forth, how to deal with facts, the whole process of math. Those three things, our observation, what we observe in life, then what we experience in life, and then our educational process of life. Now understand something. People who have gone through a divorce, they have a different outlook of their partners even though they remarry. And there's always that little thing in the heart. If I'll go through this again or this will happen to me again or that will take place again. Why? Because they've experienced something that somebody else who has not divorced had not experienced. Anybody who's gone through a divorce will tell you divorce is harder than if a partner just dies because they're gone. No more dealing with them. And it's like scripture says, when you die, you are soon forgotten. But all those three things develop this thought process. And that thought process, sometimes we can't control it. Because there's so many thoughts that are coming from our observation, from our experience, and how we've been educated. And we can't control them. In Acts 20 and 32, and then, then over in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, we're going to look at just for a few moments. I want you to catch what God is going to do. And I want you to hold what we're going to look at here and then as we go through Proverbs, and then when we, next week even, we begin to tear down Proverbs 16, 1, 1 through 9. How what we look at this week will affect us next week. Okay? But you also got to keep James in mind. Because again, he says, your desires. You're not tempted by God. You're tempted by your own thoughts and, and what draws you away from God. Okay? But then you need to understand something. Which system are you working in? Are you working in the world system or God's system? And depending on which system you're in, will develop your thought pattern. 
Stay with me. Go with me to Acts 20, 32. I want you to catch what the scripture is going to say. But I want you to also catch what Paul concludes and what Paul then says. Because Paul is convinced of this one thing. He can't do anything in somebody's life. He can't do it. As great an apostle he was, Paul was convinced he could not change one person's life. So I want you to take a look because see, if you don't understand this here, then all you're going to run on is this here. And until you get this here in here, you're not going to change your thought pattern or your thinking process. And the thinking process that you learn from the world will always lead you into sin and sin will lead you into destruction. And you'll see what scripture says, even then you think you're right. (laughs) And that's why it's so hard to tell people sometimes with their behavior, they're wrong. Because in their mind, and as they have concluded in their mind, they're right. And you can say you're wrong all day long. They're not going to listen because in their mind, in their conclusion, their behavior, their action is right. And they have reasoned it so. But where they have reasoned it from is from a faulty system called the system of the world and the way the world thinks, not the way God thinks or would have his people to think. Acts 20, verse 32. Look at what he's going to say here. Paul, he said, Now I commit you to God. And that's sometimes that's all you can do with a person. That's all really we can do. Commit our children to God. Commit ourselves to God. And if you haven't committed yourself to God for some time, you need to do it afresh. And sometimes you need to just come up and say, Lord, I commit myself to you anew. Look why. Now I commit you to God And to the word of his grace. Now look what the word will do. And this is where we miss. When you say you don't need Bible study. When you say you're not in the word. You need to understand what you're missing. It says the word of grace which can do what? Build you up. Now now, now look what God's doing. He's building us up by what? His grace, his favor in our life. He don't have to do it. He don't have to reveal truth to us. But God chooses to reveal truth to us that we might be built up. Why does he want us to be built up? We're built up that we might rise above the circumstances of this world that desires to pull us down. He builds us up that we might walk on a higher plane than in that of the world. And he says it's by his word. Nothing else will do it. His word. 
And Paul says, I commit you to the word of God that is able to build you up. Paul didn't say, I'm going to build you up. He, he breaks it to the word of God that will build a person up. Now stay with me with that word. Don't lose sight of that word because it's important. That the word is able to build a person up. He goes on a little bit further and he says, build you up and give you an inheritance. How do you respond if you got a letter, somebody saying to you, I have left you $20,000? Is there a response from you? Yes. There's something that takes place real quick in your mind. Your thoughts begin to, I can go get me a car. I can go do this. I can go shopping. I can do that. The thoughts just begin to run. And what he says, we have an inheritance, but our thoughts don't run over spiritual inheritances. Because most of the time, we don't know what we've inherited. He said, an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He builds us up in order that we might rise up above the things of this world. Go to uh, 2 Peter. Hang on to the issue of the word that's going to build us up. Because we need to understand God is the one who builds us up, but it's by his word. If you are void of his word, and his word is not in you, and you have not done what the psalmist has said that he did, that he hid the word of God in his heart, that he may not sin against God. You're only doomed to fail. You're doomed to sin because the word is not there that is able to build you up and keep you from sin. He says then in Peter, starting in verse 2, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace how? In abundance. In the King James it says that it be multiplied. In other words, in your life, the grace and peace of God should be overflowing. It should be overflowing in your life. Grace and peace. In abundance. Now look how. That's sometimes what we miss. How does that take effect? How do I have an abundance of God's grace? How do I have an abundance of God's peace? Look what he says. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Through knowledge. Now understand what scripture again says. My people perish for lack of what? Knowledge. Who keeps you from knowledge? Satan. From divine knowledge. Now, I know there is a difference between divine knowledge and just plain physical earthly knowledge, fleshly knowledge. And most of us want to operate strictly out of our fleshly knowledge 
And our fleshly knowledge is always trying to beat what we call the system, knowing that it cannot beat the system, (laughs) and therefore we fall prey to the system because we're trying to use the system way of thinking to beat it, and it won't work. (laughs) It won't work. Now, take the next verse with me. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life. So as a Christian, if you're truly born again, you have everything you need for life. Now catch the very next word that follows that. Not only do you have everything that you need for life, you have everything you need to live godly. Look how it comes about though. Look how it happens again. Key word. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our what? Who's keeping you from knowledge? So many of us as Christians don't want to learn a thing. We don't want to learn God's word at all. And it's God's word that lifts us up. It's God's word that builds us up. It's God's word that begins to develop our thought process on a divine level. Stay with me on in this as we get into verse 3 here. Because the whole issue, what I want you to catch is this here. That this knowledge takes us someplace. That this knowledge begins to form our type of thinking. But without the knowledge of the word, you cannot think the way God desires you to think. So the only thing that is left for you is to think like the world. Well, Satan's already programmed you very well. And then watch this. The type of friends you run around with and the counsel you receive and the advice you receive keep you where you are. If you run with dumb, stupid, foolish, unprofitable people going nowhere, guess where you're going to wind up? Nowhere. And we'll see that in the word here in a moment. He goes on, he says, in verse 3, he says, For godliness, through our knowledge of him who called us, by his own glory and goodness. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promise. These, his, 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 his precious promises. When you cannot allow God's promises to run through your mind because you're ignorant of them, then you're in want. And when you're in want, because you don't know what God has for you, you're in want. You receive anything Satan gives you. When you're in want, whatever will satisfy you, even though it's not the best, 
that's what you will accept. And what you need to understand, because of who you are as a child of God, God got the very best for you. But because you don't know what he's promised you and you don't know your inheritance, you're out here building something on your own, not understanding that God's building you up, that you might be able to handle everything that he gives unto you. That he's raising you up. He's doing it. Now let's go another step further here. Because he says, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them, catch that through them, through what? Through his precious promises. So that through them you may participate. That you may what? Participate. You're now involved. What are you involved in? You're involved in God's system now. You're participating in God's things through his promises. Because now your thoughts are linking you with him. And you're living and you are under his rule. And you're living life by his rules, not by yours. And when you're in baseball, when you're playing baseball, can you go play baseball under your rules? If you're going to play baseball, you got to follow the whose rules? The rules of that game. And if you switch games from baseball to basketball, you can't bring baseball rules over into basketball. At that point, you got to follow the rules of basketball. And if you're going to go off and play some volleyball, you're not going to be dunking the ball. You got to follow the rules of volleyball. And see, if I say that I'm a Christian, I have no other choice but to live life by God's system and God's rules or I don't move anywhere. And one of the things that Satan wants to do to me, Satan wants to keep me out of God's system, out of God's rules, understanding God's promises, Keep me ignorant that I have no knowledge of what God has laid up and stored for me. Amen. Stay with me because it's going to affect the thoughts here. Now, he goes on and he says a little bit further. He says, precious promises. Precious promises so that through them you may participate. Now, look what you're going to participate in. In the divine nature. In a divine nature. And look what's going to happen when you participate in the divine nature. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Catch that. When you participate in God's system, following God's rules claiming God's promises, understanding your inheritance, you are participating in a divine nature and you escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, remember what James said a couple weeks ago? It's your evil desires that draw you away from who? 
away from God. It's your thought process that draws you away from God, your wantiness, and so forth. Now, there's only two natures. We call it the sinful nature or a godly nature. We're going to put another title. Natural development or divine development. Your mind, your thinking is developed naturally and that's from birth until you meet Christ. You're hearing all the foolishness of this world and you're soaking in all the foolishness of this world. You're soaking it in through your observation, through your life experiences, and through your education. You're soaking it in. All that is that natural development that takes place. And it causes us to struggle when we begin to learn God's word because now the flesh is going to fight against God's word because God's word is going to be different in the way in which the flesh says. The flesh says, knock them out. They hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. The flesh says, they diss me, I'll diss them. The flesh says, if I want to get ahead and I want to get a promotion, i got to beat so-and-so, and whatever I do to beat him out of that position, I'll do it. Then the scripture says, I don't have to beat nobody. Because, see, my God opens doors that no man can open for me. See? And my God shut doors that he don't want me to enter that nobody can open. Hey? And, and that my God is a light unto my path and I don't have to worry about the pitfalls hey? I don't have to worry about things that the world worries about because I'm under a different set of rules operating under a different system but what happens to many Christians is this we claim Christ but operate in a worldly system and the Lord says, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. If I'm not of the world, then how am I operating? I'm operating with kingdom values, kingdom rules, a kingdom system that's ordained by God. So I'm going to either develop my thought life from a natural position, from what I observe, and understand this. When you get into the word, you begin to see life differently. So when I see certain behavior come out of people, I'm able to say, boy, Satan got a good hold, don't he? I'm able to say, that's not of God. And I can back up a little bit. So it causes me to think differently. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1.20. When you're in a home and you have a lot of hurt and you have a lot of pain, you, you reserve that. Uh, you recognize that. And that causes problems up here with our thought life. When parents are going through a divorce, thought life change. 
Because kids struggle. And even while you, whether it be he or she, it begins with a different position and our thought life begins to change. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, I want you to hear what the Lord says, what he's done with this wisdom of the world. He says, where is the wise man? <clears throat> because every man sees himself right and every man sees himself wise and he got all the answers. So God says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosophers of this age? And he tells us over in Colossians 3, don't be deceived by the philosophy of man. And he says here, <clears throat> Has not God, now look what God says he's done in a sense. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So all that junk we hear out here, all this bragging, all this stuff that we hear in the barbershop, all this stuff that we hear about somebody doing this and that, when it's of the world, it's of the world. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that. Hey. It's worldly foolishness. When people are going to advise you how to go down and get on the system, how to beat the system, how to lie, how to steal, how to deceive, oh, that's the worldly system. Hey. And God says... It's just all foolishness. I made it foolishness. And usually you'll find those people's life are not progressing. Are not moving anywhere. Now go to Proverbs 13, 20. Proverbs 13, verse 20. We're going to come back to A in Proverbs, but we're going to look at B. Scripture is usually A and B. We're going to look at B. Now, look what he says. But companions of fools suffer harm. If you hang around a bunch of foolishness, you're going to suffer harm. It's just a matter of when. When you, if, if your advice is coming from worldly foolishness, you're going to suffer harm. It's just a matter of time that is going to take place. And you're going to suffer the harm that comes from that foolish counsel, that foolish advice. Look back over at 12 and verse 15. He says, the way of the fool seems right to him. The way of the fool who will not use God's knowledge, who will not use God's wisdom, who will not hear God. For it's the fool that says there is no God. It's the fool who says God doesn't work in our lives. It's the fool who says God doesn't speak. It's the fool who says God doesn't have a plan for you. It's the fool that comes up with a bunch of foolishness that goes against God's word. 
And when it is against God's word, it's nothing but foolishness. Now we have a lot of Christians who want to come up and say, well, you can't base everything on God's word. Yes, you can. You can base everything. It's the fool who's in financial trouble who has not followed the stewardship of God. And if you get into the scriptures and study everything about finances, you'll have more. God will control your spending. And you'll be surprised with the little you have. Because God says, it's not about how much you put up. You put it up little by little, little by little. If you can't save nothing but a penny a week, you save it and don't touch it. You'll have it. You follow the stewardship of God. Then when it comes to this whole thing of conversation, understand, boy, all you got to do, if you're not edifying, you're tearing down. If you're not building up somebody, you're criticizing, destroying them. The whole process, there's that area that you can really be involved in everything about God because God says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it for what? For his glory. That everything in life. Somebody told me the other day and, and uh, it was this here. We were standing there and uh, I told him, sell. It's time to Sell. Well, they bought some stock at $250. Now the stock was $1,089. And, and they sold it. Then they called me the next day and said, you told me wrong. It went up $29 more. I said, let me ask you this. If it would have went down $500, what would you have said? And I said, don't get greedy. Hey, don't get greedy. No. And boy, why would they say what they said to me? Oh, see, now you're trying to get biblical now. Hey. Well, the Bible tells us about greed. And Bible says your greed will bring harm to your family. Greed brings harm to yourself. Rather than saying, thank you, Lord, I only paid $250 for this, and now I get a 1000 something for this? Thank you, Jesus, and, and praise dance on to the bank. You know? But he says, the way of the fool seems right to him. And we need to understand that. That's why it's so hard to talk to a foolish person living foolishly. Because as far as they're concerned, they're right in what they're doing. Proverbs 17, 12. Proverbs 17, 12. God has a humor too when he speaks to us. You know. You have to kind of laugh at this because you think, well, a person with any sense can figure this one out pretty good. But he says, better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. 
Understand something. <laughs> Common sense will say, I'm running from a bear that's upset because somebody's messing with his cub. But I ain't got enough sense to get away from fools. And the fool will do more harm to me than the bear. And that's what the scripture is saying. That the fool is more dangerous than the bear that can kill me. That can only destroy me. And I don't have enough sense to run away from that fool. Now, let me share something with you. If you're married to a neighbor, I'll pray. But if you're, but if you're dating a neighbor, run. What we talked about somewhat is the natural development. The natural development is all this foolishness out here. The natural development is all this foolish counsel you get from ungodly folks. Now divine development. How does it take place? Divine development is of our thoughts and our ideals and our imagination and our, we call it vision sometimes, and our thoughts about God. Proverbs 12, 15, when you go back to it, he says, and this is what you have to practice then. You have to want to practice it. You, you want to have to be involved in it. But a wise man listens to advice. A wise man listens to advice. Wisdom comes from God. And we have to develop a listening ear. If we don't listen to wise counsel, we're going to listen to a fool. And we need to understand that. Go to Proverbs 1. We're taking a journey before we go to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What is Satan trying to keep us away from? Knowledge. What's the beginning of that? Is the reverence and the respect of God. The reverence of God's word. The respect of God when he speaks to us. Giving God the respect that he won't lie to us. That God is honest with us. God is just with us. God is fair with us. And when God speaks, he's speaking out of a loving concern for us. And we need to understand that. The fear or the respect of God is the beginning of knowledge because God wants to impart unto us knowledge that we can think soberly and properly. He wants to impart to us knowledge because knowledge is going to help develop our thinking and our imagination and our thought process. Look over in chapter 2, verse 6. Catch what it says and hear it now. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. 
The Lord gives this to us. But see, just like that thing that we talk about, eternal life, it's a gift unto you. What do you have to do? Be willing to do what? Receive it. The Lord's wisdom and the Lord's knowledge that he's willing to give you, you have to be willing to do what? Receive it. Now understand this. You can close your mind to it. And you can go ahead and do your thing. Because you see yourself right in your foolishness. But you're going to bring harm and hurt to yourself. Follow me here. Go to verse 9 in chapter 2 of Proverbs. Then you will understand what is right and just. See, when these thoughts are running through your mind, you got to be able to discern what is right and what is just. God's knowledge gives you that. God's wisdom gives you that. For that you can begin to put some things in. I got to let this thought go on by. I can't deal with this thought. Oh, I got to captivate this thought and I got to use it. Oh, this one. Oh, I got to grab this one. And you begin to add those thoughts up that brings a proper divine action. But you know which ones to grab and which ones to let go. 9.10, Proverbs 9.10. He says, the fear of the Lord, here's that respect again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wise do what? The wise listen. The beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When you begin to grasp hold of God and understand God, He begins to give you understanding about everything else that takes place in your life. He begins to lay it out for you. Oftentimes we're running away from God and we wonder why all the confusion. But when you start walking towards God and running towards God, you'll be surprised how all that other junk just fade away. He says, if you draw nigh unto me, Satan will do what? And we need to understand God is not the God of confusion, but Satan is a God of confusion. His system is is built on confusion. His system is built on you thinking and believing that you're right when you're just following foolishness. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. And look what he says. In A now. He who walks with the wise grow what? Yeah. And guess who we run away from? We we run away from wise people. We run away from people who will give us good counsel. We run away from people who will advise us well. We run away from people who really love us and care about us. And want to help us get on the right track. And do better. When you help somebody do better, you're not doing anything for yourself. You're just being obedient unto God. 
That's all. But understand, people run from that. Give me five more minutes if I can here. Because we're going to just hit the first part of Proverbs 16 now. Because we've taken our little journey to understand that we need knowledge to be able to correct these thoughts. We need knowledge and we need to understand that yes, we can either use this so-called worldly knowledge or we can use divine knowledge. That here's that natural development. I can just lean on my natural development, how I've been raised, how the world, how I've observed things, how I've experienced things, how I've been educated. I can use all that to draw my conclusion for how I'm going to act. Or I can use God's thoughts, God's promises, God's inheritance, and the Holy Spirit and his word and conclude how I'm going to act. It's my, my decision how I'm going to think. Okay? How I'm going to process something. So go to Proverbs 16.1 with me now. We'll just start, but we'll finish up next week. Or we'll pick right back up in this verse. But I want to give you the example Because God gives us a good example of a thought process. In 16.1 he says, To a man belongs the plans of the heart. The plans. You begin to plan by your thought process. By what you're thinking. You begin to lay down your plans. And to you, they might be pretty good. And you may have even ran them by some friends out here in the world. And they'll tell you, man, that there sounds good. Man, go ahead and do that thing. But they don't see the pitfalls. To man belongs the plans of the heart. And God gave us that because, you know, one of the first things that we'll say, God gave me a mind. Yeah, he gave you a mind. But he gave you a mind that you might choose that that mind can stay on Jesus and that mind can follow the rules of God and work within the system of a kingdom or that mind can follow a worldly view or system. Now, now, now just stay with me just five more minutes. To the man belongs the plans of the heart. The second part of that verse it says, but, the, but from the Lord comes the reply to the tongue. God gives an answer to all of our thoughts if we want to hear him. And sometimes we shut God down and we don't want to hear him. And let me share something with you. God will not get in your face and shout at you. God's not going to raise his voice at you. But God will speak to you. Go to 1 Chronicles with me just to see an an example of this. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. I want you to catch with me verses 2 and 3. 
David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions of the service of the kings. And he goes on down, I'm going to save those time. Come on down to verse 2 with me. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. For the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. What did David say? I have thought this thing through. I've thought it through so much, I even laid out what? Plans to build it. I've given this thing great thought. Remember, the plans are in the heart of a man. But God gives the answer to our thoughts if we'll listen. Now, the thought that David had, you can't say it's a bad thought. What's his thought? I want to build something for God. I want to do something for... That's the thought that people have with the lottery. Lord, you let me hit this million dollar lottery, Lord. I'll give you this. It's a good thought, but boy, if they would hit it, I doubt if God would get a dime. And he says, David simply said, I've laid out the plans here. Come a little further with me. I made plans to build it. Now look at verse 3. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Was there anything improper about David's thoughts? No. We can say that they were good, desirable. And David had thought about this thing so much he had planned it. And God says, no, David. No, David. Now, how is it that God can step in now and say, no, David? It's because God knows our thoughts. And he says, no, David. Follow me here a little bit now. Come on down into verse 6. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Now, now, David, if you read that, David goes on down through and lives. He have other sons, he have this, he have that, you know. But then he just finds out, he said, but God said, Solomon will build this temple. Solomon will do it. God stopped David in his thought process, in his thing of what he wanted to do. 
And let me share something with you. If you'll hear God, as you are doing things, God will stop you. And now it's your choice if you'll be obedient. Most likely, David could have went on and did this thing. But God, I doubt if God would have been there. <laughs> and I doubt if God would have provided for him. It would have been a struggle. It would have just been a mess. But because David listened, God gave David, if you follow on through, the privilege in chapter 29. David says, I may not be able to build it. Now, David could have got mad and all upset. And David could have said to God, well, God, huh, says, you want to go ahead and let my son do it? You two go ahead and do it. But David desired to participate however he could. So when you read chapter 29, David says, I give all my wealth for the temple to be built. I get. Now understand that God didn't allow him to do what he wanted to do. But God still allowed him to, to participate. Guess where we get upset with God? When he won't let us do what we want to do. We get upset. Rather than saying to God, God, how do you want me to participate in this thing called life? And then surrender to him in that. Let's pray. We'll finish. We're going to Proverbs 16.1 and all the way through verse 9. So you want to read ahead of it and study ahead of it? Fine. But that's where we're going to be at next week. 16.1 all the way down to verse 9. Father, we just want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And we acknowledge, oh God, that, Lord, you are such a blessing to us in our thoughts. But, Lord, you know we need to be redeemed in our minds. And I pray, Father, that you would do it. That you would renew our thought process. And that our thinking will be upon your word. Our thinking will be upon the promises. Our thinking will be upon the inheritance. Our thinking will be upon the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 